Are you a victim crippled by the minotaur in the labyrinth of your mind? Or will you fight your biggest challenges like Theseus and fulfill your potential? My name is Zulfakar and welcome to the Minotaur's Maze. Welcome to the Minotaur's Maze. Today, I'm joined by the magician Viken, who is the author of the Goetic Catalog, which is available on Amazon and is the mage behind the Solomonic Magic Twitter account. Vic, thank you for being here and welcome. It's a pleasure to join you. Thank you for inviting me. No worries. Well, I mean, like I said before, I started the, the recording. I'm very excited about um, this podcast because this is a topic which I find very interesting. At the same time, it's a little uh, nerve-wracking as well because it's uh, you know there's some deep hidden dark forces in 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 this kind of topic. Um, but just to get this podcast going, could you possibly just give us a quick brief history about yourself, your background, who you are, and how you got involved in well magic, basically? Sure. Um... Well, to begin, I was actually writing a fantasy novel a couple of years ago, trying to get into that. And I wanted a really concrete universal magic system that, you know, anyone in the world could pick up my book and feel like, hey, that's how magic is done where I'm around, you know, Uh, because to me, I I deeply appreciate cultures and um, global things like that. Mm -hmm. And as I was studying magic and religion across the world, I began to notice a lot of similarities that seemed to link up. Um, and I come from like a scientific background. So for me, I was, you know, the wheels were starting to turn and I'm beginning to wonder, maybe there's a little bit more to this than what we've given it. So, you know, a little experimenting here and there. I first kind of delved into chaos magic, starting with Liber Null by Peter Carroll, um, which is a great book, by the way, for anyone who's interested in starting with magic. It's honestly a great book to go with. And eventually, I came to a podcast, um, the Glitch Bottle podcast, which is a very great esoteric podcast, if you guys want to check that out. And they had the guest, Stephen Skinner, um, who is honestly, he's the the leading expert on Solomonic magic and a lot of Eastern practices, too, which is very cool. Um, He's got a whole West and East thing going on. But anyway, the way he described Solomonic magic in both its one could say scientific approach and the fact that it's lasted for thousands of years, um, it it deeply intrigued me as well as the physical manifestations that the spirits of the Goetia are able to bring. So I was deeply interested in that. And uh, that's kind of how I got my start into Salmonic magic. Okay. So before we continue, because, you know, the conversation doesn't go that way. Could you just Tell us a little bit more about the scientific background that you just mentioned there. Like, um, I think I did read some of your tweets, like you, you've got a mathematics and a science background, but what type of science um, did you have a background in and, and how you know, were you working in it? Did you study in it? What is your scientific background? So I was actually getting, um, well, to, for, I was first starting with an English degree and I did that for a bit, um, fell out of love with that. And I'm like, you know what, let's go into STEM because why not? And I was doing computer engineering And um, I did three years of that. Uh, And eventually I was, I got a gig tutoring because that's actually my mundane job. I'm a tutor. Um, And I was like, well, this is a lot of money. I'm going to, 
I, I, I'd have more time if I just kind of graduated now instead of doing the extra two years I needed to get my engineering. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, um, I kind of have a blend in both, I guess you could say the arts and sciences, you know, where I've done classes such as uh, all three calculus, differential equations, uh, physics one through three, you know, classes like that, while also doing, doing stuff as um, anthropology of religion and very similar um, courses like that. So honestly, I, I've sometimes I've wondered if that degree was set up such a way um, where I have this hold in both the arts and sciences because, uh, you know, Alistair Crowley's famous quote that science is the science and art of causing change in conformity with will. Um, I honestly feel sometimes that I was made to be performing magic with that kind of grasp of the arts and science because magic magic dabbles in a little bit of both. Brilliant. And I really wanted to bring that out because obviously from this opening introduction, it's, it's quite obvious you know, you're an intelligent person. You've got a, a little bit of an academic background. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to bring that into the equation already because when you talk about magic, obviously this has lots of connotations for many people in many different ways. You know, there's the, the hocus pocus stage kind of magic. But what a lot of people don't realize is there is a very serious, I want to say religion, I mean, it possibly is a religion, but there's a very serious study uh, and um, execution of, of magic. So the question that I have for the audience really is, what is um, magic according to you? And, and, and how do you approach it? in a way that it's not just something which is fun and kind of stage and tricks, but a serious uh, form of study and practice for you. Right. Yeah, that's that's definitely the, the million dollar question. What is magic? Um, you know, you look at anthropologists, they they even choose not to agree on one because it's too hard to do so. Uh, definitely more opinions in the occult community. But um, the kind of definition that I go for is I call magic the sympathetic study of conversation with spiritual creatures that result in physical and spiritual change. Oh, okay. That's deep. Yeah. (laughs) I'll let you unpack unpack that. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah, we could go through it. So um, the reason I say the sympathetic study is because um, that's kind of the nature of all of how all magic is based. Um, You know, somebody sees a red plant and they associate it with blood or strength you know if i eat this red plant it's going to give me strength right there's there's no other reason besides blood in this flower say having the color red there's no other association besides that however um that that's kind of the main principle you see behind most magic for example the lion belt in the goetia that's one of the most coveted solomonic items right the lion the lion is you know the strongest animal in all of africa um, if I wear him, I'm going to be strong too. So it kind of follows this very basic logic, which is why I'd say it's kind of scientific. But at the same time, it's more of an art, you know, because it's not like a set. Um, it's not like a set science. And the reason why I say conversation with spiritual creatures is because um, to me, when someone's performing magic, you're using all these symbols whether they're actual items or art that is drawn or sketched um, or even physical movements, I consider 
symbolic. Um, these are representatives that speak on a higher realm, I guess you could say. To that's that's kind of how we get the spirit's attention through these means. Um, there are some who claim that they could do magic just kind of with their thought alone, but I'm very hard pressed to believe that. I think there there's something within us that requires our our will performing you know, saying certain words or doing certain movements that somehow that's what resonates within us. And then there's a popular, you know, as above, so below and so below as above, right? It echoes out upwards so that these spiritual creatures can reach us. And the last point I wanted to make about it causes change both on a physical and spiritual realm. Um, I, I stress that because while Magic can be very helpful in a spiritual sense, you know, cultivating one's identity or overcoming personal issues or personality traits. Um, I think the modern world has forgotten a lot that, you know, magic is a very material thing. And I think often it gets regarded as, uh, you know, a psychotherapy in a sense, you know, that magic can be used for very material things. Our ancestors have done that for generations and generations. And um, as we get later into how I define Solomonic magic, I think this material aspect is highly important for people to remember. Of course, of course. So, I mean, I know you've given a definition there, which was quite a lot to unpack, but there is, a, I mean, uh, another definition that I saw from your Twitter account, um, which obviously is similar, but it's, uh, I think the, the, the definition that I read is a lot more easily digestible for people that don't know what we're talking about uh -huh. um, and, and that definition was you know it's a scientific study of communicating with spiritual beings in order to change the material world and our own spiritual aspects so from that there's 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 four elements so firstly it's the scientific study mm -hmm. um, and then it's the communication with spiritual beings um, and, and then, which you know, you've, you've just kind of touched upon, it's changing the material world, but also making changes to personal, you know, spiritual ascension, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so before we go forward, I mean, my, now might be a good time to introduce then what is Solomonic magic. Uh, and, you know, maybe if you could just give us a brief history of where Solomonic magic came from and where we're at today. Sure. So Solomonic magic gets its name from King Solomon of the Bible, who's regarded as uh, one of the wisest, if not the wisest of all people in the Bible. And um, among certain traditions regarded to have used demons and spirits and other forces to construct the temple of Jerusalem, as well as expand the nation of Israel. Um, however, though, this, this practice is not exactly Hebrew in origin, despite the name. We could actually see that Solomonic magic takes its roots from Greco-Egyptian Egypt. Um, Alexandria the, in Egypt was kind of the heart of where this magic was taking place. Uh, and it was usually performed by the priest of Egypt who, you know, on their off time for kind of like a side hustle, they would take requests from clients to perform this and such. And when the Greeks came to, to Egypt, what they did, because, you know, the, the Greeks being very scientific people themselves, they took all these spells from magicians and, you know, personal journals and logs, and they kind of wrote it out in a more recipe cookbook way. And if anyone's interested in looking at these, you know, 
basically the first spell book in a way. Um, you could search the Greek magical papyri. That's its name because, you know, these spells were written on papyri, which was the paper for Egypt. Um, eventually, though, uh, when the Roman Empire turned, you know, Christian, we saw the loss of a lot of these scrolls. And, you know, they kind of fell into obscurity. And a lot of them got shipped over to Constantinople when the empire split in two. And thankfully, you know, there was practitioners within the East that kind of kept this tradition. Um, and then eventually we see transition of these scrolls to Italy, where it began to take a more, I guess you could say Jewish or Christian model. A lot of the Egyptian gods' names were replaced with names of, you know, the Hebrew god Adonai, Sabaoth. You see a lot of replacements there. And it eventually evolved into the more um, Jewish and Christian system we see today. And eventually it hit England, where in the 16-1700s we see the first English translation of this Solomonic method within um, the Lesser Key of Solomon. And, you know, it eventually we actually found, I believe, that there was a copy of the Lesser Key um, on the Mayflower when the pilgrims came to America. That might be a myth, but that's something that I've heard. So it, it just kind of shows the, 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 the infamacy of these, this magic system. So yeah, basically in a sense, it's this transition from Greco-Egyptian Egypt kind of darting around Europe and then landing up in, uh, in, in France, England, and Germany. Okay, and, and what then is Solomon magic and how is it different from the definition of magic that you started with? Right, so um, for most people, the traditional sense of Solomonic magic is um, actually a six-step method that I guess we'll, we'll use, we'll walk through to kind of define it from other magic. Because uh, folk magic or village magic, which people, you know, can most when you think of a witch casting a spell, that's the kind of sort of thing you get, which um, that sort of magic is not any less powerful than Solomonic magic or any ceremonial magic. However, Solomonic magic has so many things set in place in order to kind of guarantee results and the protection of the caster. You know, as you mentioned, there's a lot of dark forces going on here. And protection is honestly the most important part of Solomonic magic. So let's go through the first step. The first step is a consecration period. This is kind of where you begin getting your tools ready, um, picking the certain date of the ceremony. Timing and location is a very important factor within Solomonic magic. Facing the right direction, working within a certain hour of a certain planet. These are very important things. Um, in addition, you know, you're preparing the tools that will be used later. Very commonly, white garments are common. You, you, most people think of working with demons as kind of this dark, uh, spooky, satanic thing that movies show. But in reality, Solomonic magic, you end up looking more like a priest. And honestly, you're taking the role of a priest because you're doing prayers. There's fasting from both food and sex. Mm. Um, yeah, there's daily prayer, meditating on um, holy scriptures in a sense. In a way, you're kind of like in a, like a video game sort of sense. You're, you're building up your power level 
with whatever God you're choosing. And that, that's the great part about Solomonic magic is that even though the Egyptians and the Europeans had a different religion, they're both applying the same system. The Egyptians were praying to their gods for authority and the Europeans are doing so the same way. And then um, the second phase is, you know, kind of the beginning of the actual ritual. So that's applying the garments, giving your final consecrations to the wand, the circle. Um, that's a very big common tool within Solomonic magic is the protective circle. Usually you have all the God names written around it. And that's something you're standing in. Um, some people think it's an actual physical barrier. I think there's, there's a running joke that one Solomonic magician didn't want to have to memorize all the names. So he wrote it on the circle. Uh, so that way you didn't have to memorize it. Okay. Um, but anyway, yeah, you kind of read through those names. It's kind of like your last steps. And then the third step is the calling of the spirit. And it's done so with various threats to the spirit, kind of, um, you know, like if you don't come, I'm going to summon your master because Solomonic magic works on like a hierarchical system where you kind of have like gods at the top and in some ways demons at the bottom with other various spirits sorted throughout. And even the demons have their own hierarchy where there are supposed four kings of hell that at least within the Goetia specifically, each of those spirits corresponds to one of those kings. So in a way, it's kind of like you're walking to a retail store and you're threatening to call the manager on, a, <laughs> on an associate, you know? <laughs> yeah. If you don't give me what I want, I'm going to call your manager. Right. Uh, so that's the third one, you know, the calling. And it's, it's a very long step. There's, there's, there's so many threats and such. And eventually when the spirit shows, you kind of have a binding moment because... Um, it's one thing to call a spirit and to get it to come, but to have it bound to you is that's the key. And I think a lot of other practices um, such as like demonolatry, which is a very recent practice where you see some of these demons being worshiped as gods. Um, and I have many demonolater friends and I respect their practice, but at the same time, sometimes I wonder how much of the, they're getting what they want without binding these spirits. Um, and typically you have either a triangle or a certain object such as, um, I'm sure many people are famous with the genie lamp of Aladdin. That's actually sourced in Solomonic magic where you know you have the, the Arabic jinn trapped within um, water pots. So, you know, typically you have, a, you have, there's a variety of ways to bind these spirits to the object. And then the fifth step is kind of like in a way, you could call it like litigations. Basically, you begin working with the spirit like, hey, you and I, under God, we're going to get this task done. Tell me how you and I can best get this done. Um, there's a misconception because of all the threats and the authoritative state you're taking over the spirit. You're kind of bossing it around. But um, the way that I see some of at least, you know, these demonic kind of spirits, they enjoy what they do. So it's really not a big thing for them to do. It's kind of trying to get them to do what they already want to do under your orders. Um, so often you could see packs being formed. Some of the spirits that I've worked with, I've had to give a little in order for them to get, to get what I want and make it easier for them. So, and then typically that could be ended with what's called a Libra Spiritum or a spirit book. Some people will actually write out their contract 
like as if they were speaking to a lawyer. And you can ask for a sign or sometimes the spirit to actually make a physical mark in the book. And then the last step is the license to depart. And this is where you tell the spirit, you're free to go. I'm unbinding you um, under the rule that you bring no harm to me or those who I love or such when I let you go. And sometimes it's good to ask for the spirit to come back faster the next time you call them. That way you don't have to do this very long ritual, um, which is why having a physical item that you've bound it to can be important because later on you could just approach this physical item and summon the spirit without having to go through all these six steps again. So in a nutshell, that's, that's kind of like Solomonic magic. You're gaining divine authority using um, certain tools and implements and timing in order to conjure spirits, uh, gain authority over them and have, have your wish be done. Okay, so before I, I've got some questions about that process then, but before I move on to those questions, what, how is that then different from any other magic? Like what makes this specific to Solomonic magic and not to any other type of, of magic? Yeah, so if we want to give a, a comparison, um, where European folk magic, which I've, you know, I've done some research into, there's a lot of good magic in there as well. And there's very similar things like using certain items or tools. Um, wands are both popular in Solomonic magic and folk magic. However, there, there's little regard for timing. Um, typically in other systems, you don't see this hierarchical approach. You're not calling on a certain spirit's uh, commanding officer to you know, bring about your will. Um, okay. Yeah. So in, in, a, in a nutshell, it's timing. Um, some of the objects are a little bit more ex expensive, you know, such as like, you're not going to see a folk magician carrying around a lion belt or a, <laughs> or a solid gold ring, you know? Okay. Um, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so in that process, obviously you 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 know you talked about how you you know you, you make these kind of threats and stuff, but why would these spirits um, be threatened by these threats? Like, what power do you have over them? Or we as humans, what power do we have over them that they need to comply? Uh, in, in other words, what have they done? I don't I don't know if I'm wording this right, but what have they done wrong, or why are they afraid of being their manager kind of you know being spoken to? You know. Mm -hmm. Is there some kind of rule that they have to comply or what is it that makes them uh, abide by the threats that you make? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of um, schools of thought here. Some people think that um, the spirits are have been bound by these words in the past. And because they've been bound by these words, it doesn't really matter who says it. Uh, that you repeating it grants you the same authority um, with whoever initially bound the spirits um i i'm more of a camp of you know the consecration period when you're you're gaining this authority with god in a way by kind of like you know you could definitely use solomonic magic to gain wealth but during that consecration period where you're really focusing on like your wealth it should be really a matter of like what are you going to use it for um you know you're kind of like gaining permission from the spirits, you know, gods or God himself that are way above these spirits. You're gaining permission for your will to be done in a way. 
And if your will is not really aligned, this, this period kind of allows you in a way to, um, to set it in a way that's going to be correct. Um, you know, a lot, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've had someone call me a, like a left-hand magician, which typically in, in the occult community, a left-hand magician is seen as someone who embodies ego and power and money and like a very selfish means. Mm-hmm. But like, I, like I've mentioned, you, you're having to gain authority from spirits. You're kind of having to line your will up with the cosmos in a sense. And um, in doing so, you're, you're gaining authority over the spirits as well. There's, again, there's a lot of different uh, schools of thought. Some people think that the, especially the, de- the demons of the Goetia, that they, uh, they think they're a little dull or stupid, and they can't really tell if you're lying or not when you claim to be Solomon. So, um, <clears throat> let me just, I'm just, you just said something, so you claim to be Solomon, is that, is that, did I just hear that right? Well, in, in a sense, you're kind of, yes, yeah, Solomonic magic is kind of like role-playing that you're, you're reenacting Solomon, commanding the spirits to right. do as Solomon did, yes. Okay, that's, that's interesting. Um, I'll tell you right, and maybe if we get to that, that far, but that's interesting. Mm. Um, so who, let's talk about these spirits then, like who or what are these spirits? Like, you know, you've talked about gods, you've talked about God. So, you know, according to you then, is there one God that's the creator, the source, the divine of everything? And there's, what are the lesser gods and there are the spirits? What, what is the hierarchy uh, according to your beliefs? Right. So um, for me in my kind of metaphysical map or however you'd put it, I kind of take a Platonist approach where you kind of had a monad or like an everything. And then from that splintered into all aspects of reality that we see today, you know, where the gods of Egypt and the gods of China and Africa and all over the world, they are merely splinters of this one i guess you could say supreme impersonal being um that that's a big key difference is that in in platonism and within ceremonial magic that this supreme being at the top is largely impersonal um and to me i think some in my approach that these at least within um goetia and working with demonic forces. These demonic forces are spirits that are inherently tied to the earth. Um, If we wanna get into like exactly what demons are, to me, I feel that they're very similar to us in a way, because when we look at us, we're physical creatures, right? We have bodies, we gotta eat, we gotta sleep, you know, the standard sort of things. Um, However, I would say our goals and our true kind of drives are very spiritual in nature. You know, um, like if we want fame and glory, that's not like a tangible thing you could really hold. Like, sure, you could hold money, but it's what you can get with the money that's more important, if that makes sense. Or, or love um, or, or seeing, I don't know, bringing about good in the world, right? There's a lot of spiritual motivations people could have. So we, we kind of have this duality in humans. For demons and chthonic spirits, um, I kind of see them inverse to us that they're spiritual in nature. They don't have a body. They're kind of conceptual up in the air. However, their focus is on exactly the material. So they kind of 
for example, you could have Paimon, um, who's famous for teaching about money and business and economics. Uh, that's just kind of what, in a way, it's kind of like a computer program. He's been programmed to learn and know and how to do that with little regard for morality in a sense, because that is his morality to get that sort of thing done. Um, I think humans and that's, and that's why I think demons often get a bad rap or seen as evil because their morality is different than us. And when you have some being that behaves in a completely different way, obviously it's gonna be seen as evil for us, but you, you can't really blame a lion for hunting and killing a person. If it, you know, if a person walked in on a lion, you can't blame the lion for eating him, right? So it's the same way for me that I believe the, the demonic spirits act in the same way. Um, angels, which are another important part of Solomonic magic, to me, they're kind of like, um, when we look at the original meaning of angels, messenger, right? They're, they're kind of the go-between between the gods and humans. And um, they kind of have to carry out tasks on behalf of gods and stuff for them because one can't really... It's, it's very rare to have a god appear before you in, say, like physical form or even, even um, having signs approached. Usually when people call on a god to do work, it's, it's, it's more kind of a prayer, right? You're not asking the spirit to appear before you. Um, angels, on the other hand, they kind of are, they can be that physical manifestation in a sense for whatever god you're working with. Um, they can appear before you. And in some ways, getting back to kind of like a retail metaphor, I kind of see them as also retail workers of the universe, you know, uh, and they kind of have to deal with us, the stupid customers, you know, because uh, many times I've, I've seen, and myself too, work people work with angels and they're not quite like the graceful, loving kind of spirits presented within Christianity. They're often... They're, they're often quite harsh and rude at times. And I think that's because they're there to maintain the order or the will of whatever being they work under. Before, so, before you continue, I'd like to interrupt. So how would you know ahead. something is an angel and not a demon pretending to be an angel? Um, that's a good question. And typically you, you could tell um, possibly in its behavior, um, Angels aren't really ones to deceive. So maybe if you catch a spirit in a lie or its behavior doesn't seem to add up, you could typically attribute that to um, a demon. Uh, because I think there are three main characteristics of a demon. Um, typically in, in demonology, there are three major spirits which rule over all. There's Lucifer, Satan, and Beelzebub. These are typically seen as the top three dudes. And I think all spirits each carry an aspect from each of them. Um, Lucifer, you know, the light bringer. Typically, Lucifer is seen as one you could speak to for knowledge and, in, in a sense, uh, enlightenment. Um, spirits are very knowledge-driven. If one looks in my Goetic catalog, uh, I had to make a whole... The, there's different categories of the spirit's abilities. And I had to make a whole separate kind of category for knowledge and create their own subsections because there's so much that these spirits know and can teach. Um, so that's, that's an important virtue of demons is knowledge. And typically you don't really see angels teaching as much about the material as demons. Um, some traditions, of course, angels 
you know, there's, there's plenty of scientists in the past who claim that angels gave them divine revelation. Um, but typically you see chthonic or demons, like chthonic spirits or demons really pushing this knowledge aspect. The second uh, virtue you could kind of look for is a rebellious nature. You know, like I was mentioning earlier, these spirits, you kind of have to bound them to do what you want, right? That's why the whole Solomonic magic method exists. Because yes, one could pick up my Goetic catalog, find a spirit that, you know, hey, I could really use some, you know, I could use a girlfriend. Let me call on this guy to help me out, right? You could, you could do that. But to really assure that one, you're going to be safe and two, the spirit will do what you, what you want, that binding aspect is very, is very important. Um, so, and that's because of their rebellious nature. I don't think, like I said, that, you know, it's, it's very animalistic in a way. It's part of their nature to kind of go against what, um, people ask of them, which is why you kind of get this attributation that they're fallen angels because they, it's not that they, uh, are evil. It's just that it's in their nature to go against things and ego driven in a way. And the last thing is, um, you know, Beelzebub is typically called like the Lord of the Flies, the Great Liar. And many times in the Goetia, you'll see, um, you'll see like tips on how to make sure the spirit tells the truth. And that's because I think the spirits, they like playing with reality, whether it's lying, you know, and creating up a false narrative or whether it's literally changing the world, which is part of what they do, right? They change the material world. Um, demons like to play with reality. So that's that's another core aspect. Typically, I'm, you're not gonna see these things within angels. Okay, okay. So again, there's so many questions I've got and I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> losing track of it all in, in, in my mind now. Um, so remind me to come back on, on Lucifer and Satan. Sure. Um, but the question um, that I had before all of this was, okay, so these spirits, um, mm -hmm. are they a part of Earth or are they from another planet or are they from another universe? Like how many are, are out there and, and how far can you go uh, in terms of trying to communicate or, or bind one to you? Like how, I suppose another question, another way to put it is, how many realities are there? How many parallel universes out there? How does it all fit in in the grand scheme of, of things? Yeah, that's it's a very good question. Um, like I said, I kind of have a, a, a platonic worldview where Plato, he kind of, he had this idea that there's the world of forms and perfect archetypes and ideas. And then we have the world of material, which is where we are, right? We're, we're these kind of poor reflections of, uh, of what's in the world of ideas. Like there's the famous... Um, like an apple, an apple can exist in the world of I ideas. It's like perfect in every way that an apple should be. And then here on earth, we have poor reflections of apples that rot and don't taste good, or maybe they're not the right color, right? Um, for me, I think that these spirits that Plato's referring to, this world of forms, I think the spirits and gods and angels and elementals, whatever, that they all kind of exist on the spiritual realm. Um, if we're talking about like how many realms there are within Western ceremonial magic, there is divisions based on like the seven classical planets, um, where you kind of have, I guess you could call, you kind of have heaven on the outside and then you have Saturn, um, Jupiter, 
Mars, the sun, Mercury. You kind of work through all the planets, each with its own division. And then eventually we come down to Earth where it's kind of like these ideas and thoughts start off in heaven and pass through each of these realms of the planetary spheres and eventually manifest here on Earth. So um, as far as also as, you know, having a spirit appear before you, because that's another thing too. It's typically very rare for a, uh, an angel to appear before you while a demon can. Um, you know, a lot of people ask, are they really there? Is it all in your head? And I think it's a kind of a combination of both. I think they kind of, they, they cause a hallucination in your head to see them in a form that you would understand. But I think just because you're hallucinating it doesn't make it any less important because um, if one's sober and of a clear mindset and you're seeing the spirit, you know, having a conversation back and forth with you, or you're getting messages passed to your head, um, I don't, I don't see that any different than talking with a person Um so whether they exist here, I don't think that spirits really exist on the physical realm. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, like I said, I think they exist within this other spiritual world, which has its own um, divisions. Okay. Okay. And um, you touched upon uh, Lucifer and Satan. So normally these are considered to be different words for the same entity, but what mm-hmm. you're suggesting is these are completely different entities so um uh, in terms obviously from from the religious traditional religious point of view satan lucifer iblis whatever word you want to use this is the uh the fallen angel uh, although in, in islam is not uh, exactly considered an angel it's uh, he's considered a jinn um but mm-hmm. the whole aspect of satan or lucifer is he did not bow down to the will of god and therefore was cast out and therefore his role is to be the enemy of humans uh, uh, but i suppose that's not how we, uh, in the magic world um these uh, characters wouldn't be viewed the same or, or, or are they like what is your perception of firstly what is the difference between satan and lucifer and what is the perception of these beings are they um just people with wisdom that that can help or are they people that are, are the entities that need to be fought against yeah so um i'll go out and say that they're not the same figure uh it's that's kind of you know to be honest the 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 devil or the satanic figure that that we see in christianity is kind of its own invention there wasn't really a devil figure before that um at least within, you know, Hebrew and, and Jewish culture, there wasn't really like a devil character. Um, and the origins of Lucifer actually come from ties to Venus because Venus is seen as the most brightest star in the world. Um, you know, the light bringer that comes up in the morning. And so it's kind of like a title tied to Venus. And, you know, Venus being the goddess of beauty, this is why you get in um, Christian culture, People typically refer to Satan as being like, or Lucifer, oh, that's the most beautiful of all the angels that, you know, that's going to deceive you because you think it's so beautiful looking. Um, And I think the two kind of, the two ideas kind of got tied together because uh, Satan is kind of a title. And, um, you know, it's a title that got tied to this Lucifer figure that becomes the 
the main enemy within Christianity. But in the way that I've worked and, and talked with some other, you know, demonologists who specifically worship these two beings, um, they're very different, very, very different. Um, Lucifer kind of obsessed with correcting, um, in a way, kind of setting the record straight with knowledge, you know, kind of helping out those who've had knowledge hidden from them, um, which, you know, for many, that could be seen as like an evil thing that sometimes people keep away knowledge from others for their own good. So when when some other guy comes and claims and reveals all the secrets, kind of like Edward Snowden, right? He revealed all of America's secrets and that's he's the bad guy. But Americans should be informed of what's going on. So in a way, you could kind of see it's, it's parallel. Lucifer's bringing the knowledge that that's being hidden from us. Um, and in the same way, Satan kind of embodies that more in a, a power sense, kind of fighting the societal oppressors that be. Um, kind of overthrowing um, in a way it's more like political in nature and um, spiritual too, you know, kind of if your spiritual practice takes you against the grind, Satan's going to be the one to kind of push you and help you guide you in a way that like, Hey, I'm going to show you, you know, like how to do it your own way and get what you want. Okay. The, the reason I, I bring that up, because you know, I, like I said, I've got an interest in this stuff. And I used to read books probably about 10, 15 years ago. And, and the impression that I got is, um, you know, because a lot of religious people, they don't understand, you know, why would anybody worship Lucifer? Or why would anyone, uh, you know, see the devil as a good thing, yada, yada, yada. Um, mm-hmm. But the from reading those books all those years ago, the impression I got was, well, this belief system is, different they don't see god as 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 good and the devil as bad they just see the devil or lucifer as a an entity which has been misrepresented in history so when they call upon lucifer they call upon satan they're not calling an evil entity this is their beliefs their beliefs that this is just somebody who's been misunderstood but somebody or an entity that, that can be helpful so the point I suppose I'm trying to make here for all of those people that believe, that don't understand why would anybody worship Satan or, or follow Satan or call upon Satan, it's not because they believe this is an evil entity, it's that they've got a completely different belief system uh, and in that these entities are not evil, but they can be used to help humanity. Yes, yes. Perfect. Okay, so... Um, linked to that then or I mean not linked to that but what is then the the purpose of of magic like obviously with, with religion it's quite easy the whole point of religion is to be a guy to live the best life here and then to get into the afterlife and, and basically connect the the soul that we have here to god so what is the purpose of of magic like you know why should humans use it or you know what is your intention and mission with it mm-hmm yeah, kind of speaking on that, you, you mentioned magic and religion. I kind of wanted to yeah, talk about yeah. that real quick. Yeah. Go so, ahead. Um, you know, I think when you try to, when people try to draw lines between magic and religion, um, it could be very hard to tell the difference sometimes, to be honest. Um, Stephen Skinner, who I, you know, learned a lot from and I look up to and stuff, he kind of draws a hard line at religion being a communal sense, while magic takes on a more personal one-on-one approach. Um, and he also claims that magic is strictly material, but I really don't believe that because uh, a lot of angel work is strictly spiritual. And that's 
that falls under Solomonic magic very well. So I don't really agree fully with, with his separation that it's, oh, it's material and spiritual. It doesn't, I don't think it works that way. You know, otherwise people wouldn't pray together for someone to be healed in the hospital, right? So um, in, in a sense, when we look at magic, really it's often, magic, magic is often the religion of one's enemy or a different culture. The word magic comes from, you know, mageos, like the Greek word for the priest of Persia, right? For the Greeks, oh, we, we do theurgy. We're, you know, priest of the gods while those dirty Persians are practicing magic that's lowly. Um, so in a lot of ways, uh, you know, magic and, and religion are kind of hard to separate. Um, but in a way, in a way of kind of I, the way I see it is that religion kind of provides the hows and the whys and um, magic kind of gives us the means to get there, if that makes sense, you know? So for me, one of the goals that I've had with this account and what I'd like to do with Solomonic magic in general is turn it into, turn it away from it just being a set, uh, oh, do this, this, and this, that's Solomonic magic. I think it should be more of a philosophical or even religious system where one is embodying the archetype of Solomon. Um, and I think there's four major attributes to that, which is knowledge, as Solomon was the wisest king, um, riches, and that, and that being material riches too, in the sense that, you know, how, how, are, how is one supposed to do anything that they feel compelled to do if they don't have the means? Um, another is nobility in the sense of, you know, this kind of ties into the whole authority theme that Solomonic magic has, that as a noble, you know, you're gaining authority because you're embracing these virtues that are important um, in a way that we all can become kind of kings and queens in our own right. And the last one is charity, because, you know, Solomon, while he was the richest, I mean, he was the wisest and the richest, he didn't really hoard it all for himself. He gave it back to the nations of Israel and even the other nations that are around the world. Um, Solomon, there's a lot of stories of him negotiating with other countries and being very willing to um, give to other peoples. So in a way, I think the way that I view magic is honestly, um, years before I even encountered magic, um, in my personal life, there was a lot of ways that I wasn't really happy with the way the world worked and I could get through my daily life, you know, but I think the really, the thing that sparked for me when I discovered magic was that here is this solution to all the issues that are going on in the world, hunger, um, housing crises, the climate, all these problems that are going on here, we have the final solution that basically to bring miracles in a, um, so having that realization was important for me because I do think and I encourage magic to be used to solve the problems within the personal life and the world at large. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of where I think magic should be used. Okay. Uh, I mean, sticking to that theme, like, um, I mean, I tend to agree with you. Like, I, obviously, I'm not 
an expert in in magic by any stretch of the imagination. I've obviously I've just read a few books, and uh, it's something that you know, like I said, it, it had my interest, but corporate life kind of took me away from 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 that path. But the the books that I read were were books by um, you know Manny P. Hall. I don't know if you heard of him. Uh, the Secret mm-hmm. Teachings of All Ages. Um, the other really powerful one that I read back in the day was The Tree of Life by um, Israel Disgardi. Regardi. Yeah. Israel Regardi, yes. Regardi, yeah, yeah, that's the one. Um, and then there was one called Comte de Gabalis. Um, and, and then there's been other, you know, in, in terms of gnosis and, and uh, where they try to explain the, the Christian um, uh, works as a purely spiritual um analogies rather than physical or literal meanings um but the the sense that i got well i mean the, the those books like i think the israel there's a regarding one the what i got from them is basically magic is isn't just obviously the, the hocus pocus of we'll just keep that to the side that stage magic that's just completely something separate but mm-hmm. magic is normally considered as as evil but there's two types like even in islam there's there's what's considered black magic now just for the audience sake like obviously I, i'm a muslim and um magic is something which is outlawed so that that means it it exists we believe it exists but we're not allowed to practice it and we're not allowed to dabble with it um and obviously there'll, there'll be various reasons for that um so and, and also i don't know if you know but in in the islamic tradition solomon is actually a prophet of of god so we as muslims hold solomon in in high esteem he's a prophet of god just like moses and jesus and muhammad may peace be upon them all and it's just that muhammad was the final prophet of god in these lines um, of profit, which I think is different from the Christian perspective, because I don't think they hold Solomon in in the same esteem. Um, so, just for a continue, were you aware of that? Yes, um, I actually have a lot of interest in in um, Muslims looking at uh, magic, theurgy, talismanic magic. To be honest, one of one of my the, one of the books that I work most from is from the Picatrix, which is a it's basically a Muslim book on um planetary talismans so and i do appreciate um islam for putting solomon in such a high regard compared to christianity yeah yeah i mean we will touch by that in in, in but going back to what i was trying to say earlier so the the um the uh impression that i got from these books uh is that with magic right it's it's also it's like religion in the sense that it's about spiritual ascension um, obviously it can be used for material gains but it's it's like the in uh, the spiritualists of the esoteric um obviously in islam you've got sufis in, in other you know religions you've got the those that are more they they're more concerned about the afterlife they're more concerned about spiritual ascension um and, and magic is to be used to uh, basically strengthen the spirit and make it ascend into the different levels of heaven, uh, that kind of thing. And, and to do that, it requires a lot of discipline, uh, a lot of uh, focus and concentration. And, and like you mentioned earlier, it's about protection because um, one mistake, and it might not even be a big mistake, right? even just one thing missed off could open you to negative entities and, and, and bad entities. Um, so it's, it's kind of like religion, but playing by different rules, or not playing by different, but playing within the same rules, but on the different aspects. For, for example, 
for me as a Muslim, my goal is to obviously spiritually ascend as well. Now, the Quran and, and, and the rules of Islam, it gives me guidance to how to live my best life here in the material world, whilst also taking care of the spiritual aspect of, of myself, which is obviously to worship God and to reunite with God with a pure soul when I pass on from this life. But the way we do it is with, obviously, it's the same in the ritualistic prayers, uh, obviously, the Quran is, 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 is a, it's a recitation. So you read these words out loud and, and these words have power. Uh, and obviously, we have the five daily prayers, but there's other forms of what's called zikr, which is the remembrance of God. Um, but these are ways for the soul to ascend, which kind of like is basically magic, but using the Quran. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, you're using spells, uh, and, and basically invoking entities to kind of like do the same thing. Am I on the correct understanding there? Uh, are you are you kind of like referencing like white versus black magic? Sort of. So well, obviously, within when we talk about Islam, it's it's not considered much. That's just to, in our religion, and we do it right. But the goal, what I'm trying to get at, is the goal is spiritual ascension. Mm-hmm. Is that also a goal of of magic? But doing it obviously with with the uh the format that you do it with yeah there's there's definitely um so a common a common term this definitely not this wouldn't be within um islam but a common goal for many magicians is apotheosis where you're either becoming a god or you're becoming one with god or you're becoming you know this uh this union in, in hinduism the word yoga literally means like to yoke right you're becoming one with god um and i I think a comparison that might help you out that i often compare religion to science and magic to engineering right engineering is kind of like using the truths and things found within science um but in like a problem solving sort of way right so kind of the same way i think religion is there to to find truths and understand and discover and kind of bring us what our goals should be while magic is the means to those goals, you know, um, engineers, they, they learn science, right. And all these equations in order for them to best apply it and how they need to solve their problems. Okay. Okay. Got it. So Coming back to then your mission, then you, you obviously you know you mentioned it to me that you know you're trying to combine the spiritual and the mundane world. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know there, obviously there is a spiritual aspect, but there's also a material aspect um, uh, according to you. So yes. how then? Obviously, when you look at the world today, you know they the majority of the world, you know they don't even believe in religion that much anymore, let alone mm-hmm. magic and, and spirituality. Um, but how could you bring? magic as you've defined it into the corporate world in, into the sciences and and, and the professional fields mm-hmm. yeah I, you, you see a lot of um for example polytheists or there's there's a lot of people who kind of want to you know bring magic back into the very secular world um and i kind of think to do so at large is kind of pointless because Throughout history, magic in its practice has been shunned upon, you know. Um, the, the magician has never been one seen as high in society. Yet, you know, they're always the ones that are called upon by kings and stuff to work. 
So I think um, I think one effort of magicians should be rather than, I guess you could say, trying to make others conform to their beliefs and worldviews. You know, I think magicians um, should really work on themselves and develop their abilities and powers and such so that they could, you know, show direct manifestation of what they could do for others. Um, <clears throat> a big role model for me is John D, very famous magician, you know, created his own Enochian system. Um, he was the right-hand man of Queen Elizabeth, and a lot of his goals were set out to do what's best for uh, the nation of England. And he even coined and came up with the idea of the British Empire, which, you know, not the, not the, <laughs> not the most um, ethical thing that resulted from that. But at the same time, right, he was, he was concerned with doing what's best for his country. And uh, the British Empire is kind of what he saw the future of. Uh, in the same way, I think that, like, for example, you know, I think scientists and, um, for example, I I'll give you a really clear example. So one of my mentors, John King, um, very, very knowledgeable and, and practical magician, he, his workings are so kind of, they're famous, but at the same time, they're not. Like, they're famous within the right circles. He was contacted by the Arab Emirates to help. He, they basically asked him to enchant their scientists so that they could understand better space travel. Oh, okay. uh, because, you know, when we, when, when we look at the nations that have really gone to space, um, it's very limited, right? You have like China, US, Russia. Some other astronauts get to go to the space station, but really it's not, it's not, as, uh, it's not as global as it is down here. Right. And certainly not the Arab Emirates having any presence in space. Mm -hmm. But if you know, you look uh, 2020, they were one of the first to send a uh, basically a Mars satellite. Um, you know, they kind of like skipped right over the moon and went right to Mars. Mm -hmm. So that that's kind of like a direct result of, you know, John King basically. Um, in a way, asking his spirits to help the scientists kind of like see and understand what they couldn't before, if that makes sense. So let, let me just, just to clarify this, the United Arab Emirates, which is, mm -hmm. is a Muslim country, have basically um, got hold of your mentor yep. to help them get to space using spirits. Yep. Wow. Okay. Brilliant. That's, that's a bombshell. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think often, um, I think people, because of the situations they're in, I think people are very limited as the capabilities of magic, you know, like, yeah, definitely doing magic to get rent money is nice, but, you know, uh, using magic to bring Africa out of a third world, you know, continent status, that's even more impressive. And I think that's entirely possible. Um, and that's something like my mentor, you know, John King kind of stresses like that meant that um, instead of like countries asking for help, instead of like doing magic or doing fundraisers to get money sent to them, it's kind of about going there or having spirits being sent there that can facilitate and lay the uh, infrastructure 
for these countries to do better. Because obviously, I, I don't want to get super political, but you know, for example, for Africa, the world's been throwing money at Africa for a very, very long time. But we really haven't seen the results that people would hope to. And I think that's because they lack the guidance and infrastructure that's needed to, to develop. Um, you know, wealth and economy, this is something from payment, wealth and economy is more than just cash. It's having actual things or having the means to do things, right? That's the true nature of, of wealth. Um, and, you know, it's better, it's better to have the ability to make something than having the money to buy it from someone else. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and that's what these countries lack. They don't really have that. And that's why I think the, the nobility aspect of Solomonic magic, where you could, you, in, in, in teaching these people, you're stressing how to be embracing virtues that are going to lead to success and cooperation amongst communities. Um, that's a, that's a, that's another big thing. Like, like I said, I, I kind of have a communal aspect to magic because, um, you know, a lot of magicians, they practice in solitude or they make their goals just about themselves. Mm -hmm. um, but I, but I definitely think bring, giving back and, and supporting the communities is most important. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the reason why I said that's a bombshell is because obviously it's a Muslim country. And, and like I said, Muslims are, are forbidden from delving in, in, in magic and, and communing mm -hmm. with, with, with spirits. Um, which obviously, you know, it doesn't stop them because lots of Muslims do it. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned it before, you know, black magic and, and white magic. What is your definition? What is the difference between black magic and white magic, according to you? So um, I used to kind of, it's a, it's a very popular way to kind of divide magic and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I used to kind of work in that mind frame. I don't so much because, okay. Okay. because the way the way that I kind of realized it was before I saw white magic kind of being about elevating others mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and left is about kind of elevating yourself. Right. But at the end of the day, when we look at it, right, like the right where you, you could one call it like the loss of ego, the right hand path where you kind of it's not just about you. It's about others. It's about mm -hmm. the state of the world. Right. When we look at the at that end goal and you're reaching, I guess you could say, union with God and being one with him, it's it's kind of the same endpoint of left-hand magic, where you know, whether you're becoming God or you're be, you come becoming one with him, it's kind of the same thing at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's why I don't really see left and right hand as different. Or for example, um, you know, you could do say uh white or right right hand magic to help people but you have no idea how that could have resulted it could have resulted at the detriment of others like you know others could have suffered as a result of your magic to do good for say your friends or family and in a way when you're doing good for others it's kind of like you're still kind of celebrating your own ego because you're choosing people that you're close to and you care about and that seeing them happy is or like seeing them healthy is going to make you feel happy. Like at the end of the day, you're still celebrating the ego. So I think um, the divisions are just kind of pointless in a sense. Well, I suppose the difference then is obviously, you know, you're talking about using magic to, to make your, your, your life better uh, and then to use that 
you know, by making your life better, whether it's material riches or whatever way it is, you're then in a position to help other people, which goes back to your four principles of Sol- you know, Solomon, which, which is charity. But I suppose black magic is more using magic and these spirits to bring harm to other people. Or another way is, is, is to use it to get whatever you want at the detriment or at the cost of other people. In other words, as long as you get what you want, it doesn't matter if a thousand people die or if a thousand people are homeless. Yeah. Is that yeah. not the difference then between white and black magic? Um, y- yes, you could definitely make it so. Um, it'd be hard to say because like there's a lot of traditional and historical love spells like that kind of operate in that black magic sense mm-hmm. so basically you're, you're forcing a woman to think of nothing other than you mm-hmm. or like she can't sleep she can't eat unless she's with you so it's like in a way you know most people think would think of love spell as kind of a, a right hand thing possibly or a, a white magic thing you're bringing love but it's also it's like you, you're kind of cursing someone so um yeah i don't know it's 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 definitely a good question of like i definitely do think there are curses yes mm-hmm. um but again they're, they're the thing is, like, we don't know exactly how these spirits are operating the way they do. Um, I, I wish I could understand how exactly how they do each operation. But mm-hmm. again, we're, we're only human. So our, we're limited in what we can understand and how they operate. And I think, um, yeah, sometimes it can be, I, I think sometimes trying to divide lines can be detrimental. Because... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's, it's folklore, but there is a, a, a superstitious belief, uh, especially in, in, in the Pakistani community, which, is, I'm a, which I'm a part of. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, obviously demons in, in Islam are, are basically jinn. So obviously we call them jinn. The word jinn is in the Quran. Um, and these are the mm-hmm. entities we're forbidden um, from dealing with. But obviously, like I said, there are Muslims out there and other people that, that do use jinns to cause harm uh, onto other people. Um, and, and that's traditionally considered as, as black magic in, in, in our tradition, um, which I suppose the question here then is, are jinns different from demons or, you know, what, obviously, because I've, I've heard you mention jinn as well. What mm-hmm. is a jinn to you? Um, it could be hard to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've, I've definitely done a lot of research into to like Islam and listening to other speakers. Uh, you know, you talking about, how like there's practicing Muslims working with jinn to cause harm. Like um, I was listening to this one story about this guy who basically pissed off a whole clan of jinn. So he had to, wow. he had to work with a magician to, to kind of beat up each one individually or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway. Um, I'm, so do you some, believe in jinn? Uh, I like to ask you, do you personally believe in jinn or is this just another word for demons? Um, I wouldn't say that I don't believe in them. It's just that I don't, I don't know. It, it's hard to say because even in, in Islam, like typically when you had um, missionaries moving out, you know, and you had, they go to, to a foreign nation who had their own religion there. And you had the missionaries come and, and say, oh yeah, the gods you're working with are, those are just jinn. Um, 
so it's kind of hard to say it's like well where do the lines divide between gods and and spirits and angels and jinn um when it's kind of like it, it almost becomes like a blanket term mm-hmm. uh now my, my my mentor john king he has a theory that the the 72 spirits of the goetia because um we have to remember that these these 72 that are within the goetia they're not the only i guess you could say demons out there these are just very very powerful ones who command legions of inferior ones um he thinks that these 72 are the i hope i'm pronouncing this correctly the ifret the, right, they're yeah. like mm-hmm. is that how you say it yes 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 Freak, yeah he, yeah, he, he believes them to be the Afrits. Um, so, and because of Solomonic magic kind of existed because of Islam, which is why I kind of have um, a high regard for it. There's, it, it was preserved in a lot of ways through Islam. Um, so I, could it, could they be Jin? I'm not sure. It's, it's interesting. Uh, I've heard some people connect Jin to, electricity because you yeah know, often... yeah i was just about to bring that point up because the the description given to jim is obviously these are unseen beings hidden beings they're of a different reality mm-hmm. um but they're in a sense they're like humans there's good jinn there's bad jinn you know they've got their own you know the, the quran is actually a book for jinn as well not just for humans um and basically they're not allowed really to communicate with those and we're not allowed to communicate with them but one of the mm-hmm. descriptions given is that they are made of smokeless fire Um, now that could be a metaphor for electricity but um, ultimately smokeless fire it's just another form of energy so they're just a different form of of energy but that's where the uh, the electricity aspect comes from because the description given for them is that they are made of smokeless fire which obviously gives them a different you know uh, kind of reality different kind of power so Mm -hmm. they've got you know superior speed uh, they can be at multiple places very quickly, uh, even in, you know, in the stories of, of, of Solomon, like, you know, when uh, there's one such story, I mean, don't quote me on this, but because this is, I can't remember <laughs> exactly, but, you know, when Solomon's asking about the kingdom of Sheba, um, you know, there's a jinn there that says, well, let me go and find out for you. In, in other words, I can go there now and come back to you. Um, but then as the story goes, there was a difference uh, uh, being uh, a being of light, which had even faster speed than uh than the gin itself but that's where the um the electricity aspect comes from it um and um obviously from the islamic tradition again like said, solomon was a prophet now he was endowed with wisdom uh etc uh, and he could speak to the animals uh, but the other thing that he had was he could communicate with jinn and he had power over jinn which no other human being or no other prophet had um, and this is why earlier on I said I'm going to come back to this uh, when, when you mentioned that you when you're trying to invoke these spirits you're basically saying that you're, or you're, you're enacting yourself in a way that you're Solomon um, so you know, one of the stories is that there were a, a legion of jinn where they were chained uh, and basically they had to serve Solomon and he got them to do tasks, which was basically building these great buildings, uh, lots of architecture. Basically, he used these jinn to uh, get stuff done. Um, and um, now this is more not widely accepted in, in, in most of Islam. So this is more modern day, very probably point 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 one one percent which subscribe to this theory. But 
uh, one of the theories out there is um, the antitrust. Obviously, there's an antitrust theory in Islam as well called the Jal. Um, and, and one of these theories is that when Solomon died, like the story of Solomon, I don't know if the, the death of Solomon is, is, is the same in the other traditions, but uh, the, in the Islamic tradition, the, the, the death of Solomon is that he was on, uh, sitting down on his staff um, and then nobody realized that he passed away. Uh, until uh, a, a gnat or a termite chewed away at his staff and then he fell over. Is, is that in the other traditions as well? Or is that just, is that the first you're hearing of that? I, y- yes. When I was reading through your um, Twitter threads, that yeah. was the first I've heard of that story. Okay, okay, okay. So that's fair enough. Um, but anyway, that's the point. That's the story of, of you know, how he, he, he passed away. But that doesn't make sense. Obviously, he's a prophet, he's a king. Um, but just to cut a long story short, the 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 premise is that Solomon passed away, but the jinn didn't. These jinn that were under his control didn't realize that he passed away, and then another being took his place. And those jinn at the moment currently believe that Solomon is still alive, and they're acting for Solomon. But in fact, there's this other being, which is the Antichrist, the Jal, which is directing them to do this kind of stuff. And which is why I found it interesting when you said. Um, you reenact yourself to be Solomon. So can you talk to me a little bit more about that? Like, would, would these demons or entities, would they not do your bidding if they didn't believe you were not Solomon? Um, it, it, it's hard to say because it, like, oh. again, like Solomonic magic is, is it's not rooted um, just in um, within this like Jewish or, you know, um, Muslim or yeah, yeah. or Christian kind of mindset, you know, Abrahamic mm-hmm. thing. Like it was for the, the Egyptians did it. Yeah. Um, Taoist priests in China perform their own version of Solomonic magic. It's like a very global system. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, why, why didn't, why didn't you try to enact Solomon or, you know, are you trying to make these entities feel that like you are Solomon? What, what, just go back to that when you mentioned it earlier. What what is the point or what is the premise there? What is the uh, the whole point of that? Yeah, it's. I mean, for those who attribute that this because some believe that the book is actually written by King Solomon, at least the lesser and the greater key. We have we have no idea who the real authors were. Okay, mm-hmm. and um, you know, at least in in secular history, um, many don't even find Solomon to be a real being. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, obviously, there could be records that have been lost to history that there was a true King Solomon. Yeah. But for the most part, there's a lot who don't even think he existed. So, um, and again, you have the people who who believe that the spirits aren't very good at telling the truth or not. So some people, because they believe in this, the actual story of Solomon happening, they lean more into pretending to be him um, so that the spirits respond to that, you know, this, this, this uh, binding that's been set by Solomon centuries ago. And it's funny, you see this pretend, pretending to be Solomon sort of thing. You see something very similar within um, the Greco-Egyptian magic, where you see people pretending to be Hercules, people pretending to be mm-hmm. Osiris, the god of you know the dead himself, in order to command these spirits. Or I am Thoth Hermes, or like Thoth Mercury, um, you see the Egyptian priests pretending to be gods in order to gain authority. Um, so it's 
it's it's definitely less of like it being specifically Solomon and more of kind of like this. Right. I guess, I guess you could say role playing of being a greater authority than okay. one truly might be. So when obviously you, you mentioned Toth and you mentioned some other things, but are, are, are the spirits of these entities still out there? Like, can you communicate with these? Like, I bring that up because they, another book that I read um, a long time ago was by uh, Drunvalo Melki Zedek. I don't know if you've heard of him, um, mm. but it's called The Ancient Secret of the Flower of Life, something like that. Uh, and he says he he basically communicates with with Toth. Uh, I think that's the same as Hermes. Uh, mm-hmm. But yes. he, he he communicates with him regularly. So these people they're pretending to be these guys, or does the do the actual spirit of these entities come down into these people? And you know, do people get possessed by by them? Um, you, you're asking, are people being possessed by the same spirit from the past? I suppose I suppose there's there's two questions in there. So we, we'll do with the uh-huh. possession. After that, the first question then is, can you, instead of trying to enact and role play these spirits, can you actually communicate with those spirits themselves? Or as the words you use, the gods? The same spirits of the past? Yes. Yes, I, I do think so. Um, I, I I do think that they're like their life cycle, like the spirit or their, their power, it works in a very different way than us mm-hmm. um i think a lot of their their strength or their power is related to how much like honor and praise they have because you see names names are a very incredibly important part of Solomonic magic and almost magic in general um while like the pronunciations you could kind of you could mess up or mispronounce a bit trying to have that set like base name is is very important I'm not going to use bail to summon payment or payment to summon um, stolas. You know, you know, it might be stolos or stolas or stalas. Like there's different pronunciations, but it's very different than say payment. Um, so like in a way, these, these names are very important at the mm-hmm. end of the day. And um, when we think about the names, they're just kind of like their titles, right? Like for example, um, Alexander meaning great defender right? That's referring to actions he's done. So when you're calling these spirits by these names, you're kind of like singing praise of what they've done. Um, and which is why like, uh, what's it called? You know, flattery, when you're speaking to a God using titles and flattery is very important because it brings in a way it empowers them. This is, this is what I I've found by the way, this is not like set in stone. Um, and I think because most of these spirits, at least within the Goetia, that these were once gods of other people. Some people claim that, um, for instance, Vasago, who is the third spirit, they claim that that's Vishnu. There's, a, there's connections to Vishnu from Hindu um, religion. And because some of these spirits are no longer worshipped in the same way they were years ago, it's the same spirit, but their power has been greatly reduced in a way. Um, you know, it, it, it's hard to say, it's hard to say like, which, you know, which were actually gods being worshiped or which were demons being worshiped as gods. Um, but I do think people today can still speak to spirits of the past. I still think, I do, I still think they do exist. I think many of them are not in the same form as they Mm -hmm. were perhaps, Mm -hmm. you know, some of the, the more like, 
I guess you could say pagan gods, perhaps like Thor or Odin. I don't think they exist in the same state they once were before, but I do think at the end of the day, it is just, it's still the same spirit. Okay, brilliant. And just carrying on from that, then obviously the mm-hmm. let's talk about the potential drawbacks and the dangers. Uh, and obviously possession is one such danger. At least within Solomonic magic, there's so many um, safeguards. I really would, I, I really would doubt you get possessed. Now, my my mentor, he claims that some people kind of like try to shut off from allowing the spirit to enter their head. Um, while he says, like, you know, if you if you don't let a spirit enter your head and kind of understand what your true desire or goal is and a spirit just goes off of your words, they might completely misconstrue what you're saying. Um, at the same time, I don't, I don't think he equates like letting the spirit, you know, kind of like read your mind as, as being possessed or controlling you. Um, now within other forms of Solomonic magic, like in Vodun and Haiti, um, they allow possession um, in, in some forms to to within their styles of solomonic magic um because it's very comparable in some ways they do allow the spirit to have a little bit more leeway and allowing the spirit to act through them so but at the same time both have kind of the authority of god kind of being the binding agent within this relationship so there's less harm um you know a couple months ago i had a debate with my friend viv uh who's on twitter and they're a demon auditor. And we had like a, a demon debate. You know, what is the nature? How should we treat these demons? And one thing that I was pressing them about is that within demonology, there's very little respect for protection. There's no circles of protection. There's no, there's really no nothing. There's nothing at all to protect oneself. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely do, you know, concerns of possession or um, poltergeist activity um some people some people claim that they've forgotten to do the binding to the the license to the part you know allowing the spirit to go free that they they didn't do that part correctly and they had poltergeist activity in their homes um so you you know definitely all these pieces of the solomonic method do allow for safety um and, and it's typically why I embrace it so much is that it's a reliable and safe way to practice magic without having to worry about such things as possession or making, a, you know, the stereotypical deal with the devil. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I got to trade my soul to get this. Okay, yeah, because it's interesting. Because like I said, those books that I read, um, they were very, uh, they were very, you know, like, massive disclaimers like massive warning signs like you know this path is not for everybody simply because of the amount of discipline uh required and, and if i remember correctly like you know just about 10 15 years ago but uh in, in training and in talking about training like one of the um the the strategies for training was to to train discipline do what you've got to do and if you make a mistake then cut yourself because mm. that's the level of discipline required to avoid making a mistake because if you make a mistake then the, the dangers are very real and they can be very catastrophic. Like obviously you're saying Solomonic magic is, is more safe, but 
are the other forms of magic maybe not that safe? Like how how dangerous is it and how easy is it for it for a spirit to possess you if you don't do it properly? Um I I typically don't if you know for the most part, I think most the basic human person is kind of safe from being possessed by a spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, these spirits they kind of have a lot better things to do than possess people i mean they're definitely playful i i you know i could see them wanting to for example possess someone to do i don't know some trickery mm-hmm. right like i mentioned they like to they like to play with reality and alter it um i i do think that there is i think respect is what's most important for spirits uh because both you see both within solomonic magic and demonolatry um, there's praise and and respect for the spirit you know um, it's not like you know come here slave and do what i want it's not like that at all when within the goetia when the spirit appears you sing like praises to it like welcome great spirit thank you for approaching and i i you know all these praises that one would not think is in uh something as holy as solomonic magic in a way um so like there's definitely a level of respect for these beings. And I think that's what's most important because um, like I said, they're not malevolent beings, you know, they're not here, but at the same way, they definitely can cause harm when offended. So I'll give you a a personal story for your listeners. Mm -hmm. Um, So one spirit that I've worked with is uh, Stolas and part of his, you know, give and take was like, can you kind of mention to people some of the stuff I do for you if I do it then? And I agreed to do so. And one night I was out uh, with friends at a bar and, you know, being stupid drunk, I was like, oh yeah, they had a, they had a chalkboard there that you could draw and stuff. And I was like, oh, here, I'm going to put Stolas's great name on the chalkboard. So I drew his sigil and made a big like joke out of it with my friends. Um, and long story short, it resulted in like the next morning, kind of my best friend's um bird dying there was like poltergeist activity all night and in the morning her perfectly healthy bird died and i took that as a sign from because solace often appears as a bird whether it's owl raven like that you know he, he chose to inflict harm on this bird to show the sign like look you, you can't be messing around with me like this is i can um i think that's another thing too people kind of uh especially stolas they they make the demons seem cuter than they are. And they're really not cute or like jokeful beings. Like these, these are beings of power that they deserve respect in any approach you pick from. So um, I, I think that's definitely the danger. You know, at, at, imagine approaching some ruler and coming in there um, dressed poorly, you know, not have showered. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to call a ruler by his first name, you know, that'd be completely disrespectful, and you're probably going to get thrown out of the, <laughs> out of there. It's the it's the same way with approaching these beings. Um, so again, for the for the most part, as long as one's respectful, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I I don't think one is at harm for malevolent beings. Okay, uh, how 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 is it that you you communicate with them? Obviously, you know, is there a language barrier? Is it telepathic? Like. 
you know, if, if, for example, if you're invoking a being from a different part of the planet, mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. English would not have been their their first language, that kind of thing. So, what what is the method of communication, and how is it that you you well you can understand each other? Yeah, um, like like I mentioned before, because I think. Uh, action and words are very important and integral part of magic. I do think one should speak in their native language or whatever whatever language they could best express themselves in. Mm-hmm. Um, and the spirit, like you could hear it audibly, but in my opinion, it's speaking either kind of like with your soul or your mind or your spirit. Like it's it's not really communicating through physical means, although you can hear it. Okay. Okay, so it is kind of more like telepathic kind of thing. Yeah, sometimes people can, sometimes people don't even get words, like they'll get feelings instead, or they'll get sense, like, like, do you agree with this? Uh, I've heard one person that they, they asked that, and they, all of a sudden, they smelt the smell of blood, which they took that as a no, so. So how, how would you then know that's a spirit talking or it's just you know obviously we get lots of thoughts in, in our head yeah how is it you know how would you be able to tell especially if you're in a state of anxiety and stress and you know you're you're doubtful about yourself and things like how would you be able to tell that's that's the spirit talking and not just your thoughts going out of control yeah that's that's it's, it's definitely a very important thing and it's something i still ask myself and even my mentor who's been practicing for a while now he said, you know, sometimes he goes to bed at night wondering, am I just insane? Like, what am I doing? It's it's the issue with every magician. And if you have a magician who claims to, that they're 100% like, oh, this is 100% real. I know exactly what I'm doing. That's definitely a false magician um, because one true, should truly be skeptical and doubtful if they want to perform real magic and not just deceive themselves. Um, but you definitely want to allow room for, I guess you could say, supernatural signs in a sense like either um for example i had i'd asked for when one of my first workings i'd asked for a you know supernatural sign and the next morning my my lawn furniture was flipped all over and Mm. there was no one who could have touched it yes so and i tried i tried doing it myself and it wouldn't have been easy for the wind to have done it so that's that's what i took as a sign um, you know, you, you have all sorts of people having different sort of signs, um, bells ringing, or maybe hearing a bird or a dog where there shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Often, Solomonic magic should be practiced in solitude for this exact reason, so that you don't confuse the normal sounds and, and stuff of society with as a sign, I guess. Okay. Uh, I've had some, some have said that they've had uh, doors slammed shut you know so asking and and obviously also the the best way is like if your result is given you know if you're there to ask for money or for wisdom and within the coming week you you know someone hands you a check or uh or or you stumble upon a book that has the answers you've been looking for exactly that's that's almost proof in it itself you know okay so Sticking to that point, then obviously asking for money or getting what you want. And you, know, you touched on it earlier where making a deal with the devil. Now, there's a lot of theories about the Hollywood and the music industry being very deep in the occult uh, and a lot of contracts with Satan and that kind of thing. What is your opinion on that? Is, 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 is there some truth to that? Or is that just crazy conspiracy theory? Um, 
So I'll answer this. Do I think that magic is performed at, you know, celebrity politician levels? You know, like, are there magicians out there? Yes. Mm -hmm. Do I think that there's like a secret cabal of, you know, ritual workers, you know, causing a like a one world society? I don't think so. Um, I because, you know, on social media or Twitter or forums or just even in person, putting a couple of magicians together, it's very hard to get them to agree on anything. I can't imagine people at the level of a politician where their ego is so elevated. I can't imagine them possibly working together in a way to, um, <laughs> you know, to, to control the world together. I, I, I don't think I don't think that the the communication and, and um, cooperation is there for something like that to happen. Um, but if if we do want to get conspiratorial, I'll give you, I guess, one lead. So there's a performance artist named um, Marina Abramovich. Um, and she's been called by many to be kind of like the witch of Hollywood. Um, me personally, I the, the, some of the stuff she does is so, so out there and specific. I kind of would have to agree. And the fact that she's like trained some people supposedly, um, you know, that's like, but as that, that's the most evidence I have for stuff happening at high level. But I guess another example would be that, um, you know, a lot of professional sports players are super, they're very superstitious and a lot of them believe in magic and stuff. Um, have you have you seen the film Uncut Gems? No. Okay, it's a it's 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 a recent film with um, Adam Sandler in it, and there's a basketball player who basically tries to take this gem that Adam Sandler has that he believes has magical powers or whatever. Um, and I think that that does happen on a scale. I think there are, like I said, professional singers or athletes who do look out for high level magicians, like corporate level magicians. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So kind of like, obviously, you know, the, uh, because there's obviously there's a lot of clips on YouTube and, and whatnot where, you know, individually if you look at them they might not mean anything but when you put them all together it, it just kind of paint a picture right you know when you've got bob dylan talking about he made a deal with he can't say who but mm -hmm. that's the price he had to pay for for fame and fortune and you, know, you get a lot of these stories where these celebrities whether they're movie stars or whether they're uh singers they, they kind of had to make a deal with some entity and that's the real reason they got their fame um and, and, and their riches but the the price and the cost was was their soul. Now, is that is that accurate? Is there truth to that? Is there something to that, or is it total BS? And, and I suppose linked to that is obviously there's been a recent tragedy um, with the concert. I mean, I, I didn't even know who the celebrity was before this uh, tragedy happened. I think was it Travis Scott or something. Um, mm. and, and and a lot of people saying, well, that's that was a ritual sacrifice. Like that was a you know um, a, a cult ceremony. Is there an element? Of truth to this or is this just people that have got too much time on their hands and looking for something i'll, I'll just say this our human <laughs> okay. our, our human brains have been evolved to seek patterns in mm -hmm. almost everything there's a there's a really famous game and like a training exercise that i give to people who want to learn magic you know people ask me how do you how do you prepare to have a spirit appear before you because that's freaky as hell right literally freaky as hell um and there's this there's an easy game one can play where you basically go into a bathroom turn off all the lights 
have it very poorly lit in a candle and you stare at your face long enough, your face will start to change shape because mm-hmm. your brain's your brain's trying to make sense of the shadow and limited light. And I think that's exactly what's going on with some of these sort of conspiracy theories. You know, people are making ugly faces out of not having enough information there or um, not really understanding the situation as much as they should. Um, yeah, I mean... So, so does it happen? Obviously, forget that, forget that incident, but does it happen? Like, do some of these celebrities, do they make a deal with, with a devil or with an entity where, you know, they've, they've basically made some kind of deal with an entity for their fame and fortune? Sometimes, uh, because, you know, I think celebrities celebrities work in symbols and metaphors and and stuff like that way more than I think people the common person is used to and I think sometimes that could be taken literally Mm -hmm. um you know like like for example um the church of satan while it's technically it's a religion they're atheistic um satan is more of a it's a fictional character for them that they embody um so I think a lot of these times when you have people claiming to make deals with devils or this sort of thing, it's kind of like a metaphor for them. Like I'm going to embrace my ego and I'm going to do what's best for me and put aside what others say. So um, now do I think some of them might have literal spirits they contact? It's very possible. If you, if you look at my Goetic catalog, you see that there's a huge section on politics and social relations so, you know, the Goetia is definitely, it, it, it's very easily usable for building relationships and elevating your ego. For example, um, Baal, the first spirit within the Goetia, um, it's said that his power is to bring invisibility and not literal invisibility. It, that's, that's a misconception. It's more of like the ability to act unseen. You know, people ignore you or they don't know what you're doing. Um, but these spirits can work in opposites just as much as Baal can cause others to ignore your presence. He could elevate your presence to be seen more. Um, more people get attention of you, you know? So that's just an example of like some of these, these abilities that I think celebrities take advantage of better than actual magicians. And I, sometimes I joke to people that, you know, I think some celebrities are better magicians than the ones who claim to be ones because you know you have some of some of the people who wrote some of the best books on like solomonic magic at the end of the day they're still selling talismans on facebook while you know you got like um what's his name uh beyonce's husband jay-z right mm-hmm, he, mm-hmm. some have some have claimed him to be part of illuminati and occultism or whatever uh, and, I'm, and i'm sure there's something to it um i don't know how evil it is but like Mm-hmm. right he's he's married to one of the, the top celebrities in the world and he's famous so yeah i think sometimes these celebrities like we're talking about the material part i think sometimes these these occult celebrities they better embrace the material aspect than um yeah. claimed I mean, magicians it's, it's interesting you bring bring them up because yeah i did have them in mind i wasn't sure whether i should mention them or not but <clears throat> i think with obviously jay-z does a lot of occult sim- symbolism in uh his his music and i think i don't know if it mm-hmm. was his where one specific track is, you know, he's got Lucifer, son of the morning or something, playing uh, in the backdrop. But the idea of of demon possession uh, with Beyonce is that obviously there's Beyonce, she made the pact, and then 
Sasha Fierce is the demon embodiment. Uh, I mean, I remember seeing that YouTube video. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't have any thoughts for. I mean, I suppose I, I kind of do believe that yes, these celebrities they they do a lot of this uh, uh, demonic position kind of thing. But is there an element of truth to that aspect? Or you know, when you, these celebrities, these alter egos that they have, like Sasha Fierce for Beyonce, those are the demonic aspects. It, it can be hard to say. Okay. Um, kind of tying back to to the beginning of my my magical practice you know i started within chaos magic where chaos magic kind of has like an anything goes sort of way if it works it works that's what's important so whether it's psychological or spiritual it almost doesn't matter Mm -hmm. um and i will say that like um you know it like all magic it and you know, it very much could be at the end of the day, it could be really all psychological. I can't say for certain, you know, I personally, I've had enough signs and things to make me believe that it's spiritual in nature, but, um, you know, there's a lot of people who use my, they use magic psychologically. Um, one of my, I have another mentor who's, uh, he's like a chaos magician, um, but he's also, you know, he's at the end of the day, he's an atheist and he's a computer programmer. Mm-hmm. So he's a very like materialist point of view. But like he said, like magic, doing these rituals, there, there's something about being there in the moment doing a ritual compared to just kind of, um, you see, like, I don't know if you've heard about The Secret, the book. Yeah, of course. Right. Like, yeah. like, man, like manifesting or, or yeah. attract, like the attraction, right? There is something way different between wishfully thinking and being in the moment having yeah. like a set ritual that mm-hmm. even if this was all made up the psychological effects there are incredibly strong mm-hmm. so um you know these these celebrities could just be taking advantage of the psychological effects it could be spiritual i don't know um i, I just say that th- because magic is rooted in symbols and like duality and because naturally art and music and movies is rooted in that symbolic nature. I think they're very, very well skilled in performing magic in a way. Okay. And um, not to drag this point on uh, any longer, but um, oh, I've lost my train of thought now. I forgot I was going to ask. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, let me try and get that back. Um, yeah. So basically, there's this theory uh, that possibly those that use dark magic or black magic and, and they're using it to bring about, you know, their evil plans for, for the world. The mm-hmm. theory is that they can't do anything without first warning people. And the warning comes from music or movies or stories or books. Um, and, and, and once they've given the warning or given the plot of what they're going to do, that's when they can go ahead and do whatever they, they want to do. Is there an element of truth to that, or is that just another tale that doesn't exist? Mm, I haven't heard of that before. Um, okay. I don't know. It, it sounds, it sounds like a really, I don't know. At the moment, it kind of just sounds like a, I don't know, plot device or like a made-up story. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Okay, no, no, that's that's fine. Um, brilliant. Well, this has been very fascinating and entertaining. Um, before I, I, I finish up and I'll give you the chance to obviously promote yourself, um, one last 
speculation or speculative um, thought for the future. Uh, so obviously there's this idea that these entities, they can possess humans. Is it possible then that you could create a, an AI type of robot and then these entities possess that? That's, yeah, that's a, that's a big topic. And that's something I often use for, um, I get in fights a lot with other magicians okay. because, <laughs> because some, some claim that like the actual words are what are important. And I don't agree with that at all. I think it's the human, like the human part of speaking it, that there's, we're, um, you know, we kind of have a divine essence to us um, that other, you know, machines or animals couldn't possibly ever have. Um, because otherwise, why don't I just play a tape recording of a ritual and I go grab a burger and I could come back and the demons, you know, the tape recorder's done what I needed to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think robots or AI would be capable of performing magic. Um, however, I do think in terms, you know, getting back to using magic for, for science and stuff like that, I do think magic should be encouraged to research something like AI to perform what would be magic for us in a sense. Um, okay. That way, you know, people can rely, like people don't have to study magic and do all this research to get what they want. They can rely on science, which, which is, it, which is the beauty of technology, right? You don't need to understand the science or the mechanics behind it to enjoy its benefits. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, Let's just wrap up then. Um, how can people contact you? What can they find out more from you? Um, and, and after you've just given them where they can contact you, just tell us what, what is your mission? Like, what are you trying to do with this? Like, what is your whole goal? Not just for yourself, but let us know for yourself. But what do you want? The Why do you want the world to tap into your ideas of magic? And, and what do you wish to bring about? Mm-hmm. Um. Well, for me, I, I think, like I said, I kind of reframe Solomonic magic as kind of a philosophy or even a religion in a way. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the, the practice itself, it's safe. It's very reliable. You know, you have this really good thing here. But like I said, you know, why call it Solomonic magic if you're not going to be Solomon outside of the ritual as well? I think it's important we, you know, Solomon he kind of embodied that link between the material and the spiritual very well. Um, and I think embodying that is, is what's important and bringing, giving back the riches you earn to the community is it's very important. And it's kind of, you know, we talked about black and white magic and left hand and right hand. And a lot of ways I kind of see Solomonic magic as the unity of these two, you know, yes, use magic to gain riches, but, you're also giving back to the world. Um, and I also kind of want to unite the global community of Salmonic magic because like I said, you see it practiced through um, multiple lenses. You know, m- m- without culture, there is no magic. Um, it's, it's Magic is deeply rooted in culture and you can see parallels, but there's also a lot of separate things. And I think trying to introduce the Solomonic magic within these separate cultures around the world um, would be beneficial because you see a lot of um, claims of gatekeeping or cultural appropriation. And I think offering, I guess you could say the Solomonic magic, the Solomonic method in each culture um, would kind of do away with 
the argument of gatekeeping because people could kind of do the same magic, but from their own culture. Um, I, deep down the road, I do have goals to travel and write. So one of my, I, I, like the Goetic catalog, I'm an author and I plan on writing a lot of books. Deep down the road, I plan on going to different communities and working with local magicians or priests or such and creating books that can be used to share like their knowledge with the world. Um, as far as contacting me, I have everything on my Twitter account, which is twitter.com slash Solomonic Magic. Uh, I have my email there. I also have, if you're interested in hearing more of my thoughts and topics, I have a link tree there where you could find um, basically a mega thread of all my biggest and most important tweets. And you can, there's a link there to purchase my Goetic catalog, which is a collection of all the different abilities and stuff that the spirits of the Goetian have. Um, so, so just, just let people know, if, what, what are they purchasing? Like, what, what do they get out of that catalog? Well, for one, the entertainment value is immense because there are some abilities in there that are just flat out incredible, like summoning spirits or causing waters to warm. Um, so it's, it's, it's very interesting seeing like what people, if, if one's a complete secular person or doubtful or skeptical, it's kind of a fun book to read because it kind of shows what people desire through these spirits. Like what are the sort of things that people have searched for? But if one is a practitioner, it offers so many options and an easy to way find um, way to find the categories of these spirits because this is really this book is there's really no other book like it at the moment if one wants to work with the goetia spirits you kind of have to read the whole goetia to understand what each one does before my book came out but now with my book if you want to do money you could just look to the money category and it has all the spirits listed there that would help you with that brilliant brilliant well it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you um the time's flown by uh, <laughs> yes. for, for, for going on for too long but uh appreciate you coming on and, and you know thank you very much um and do you have any last words um yeah i just want to say thank you for inviting me this was really fun yeah. getting to discuss it um this was especially cool for me that since you're, you know, you're muslim and you have a greater insight on some of the aspects of islam that i appreciate um and yeah uh, i asked people to follow me i got a lot coming up within the next couple months i kind of want to leave it as a surprise for right now but okay. i i do have a lot planned so be on the lookout brilliant well once again thank you very much um and as for you the viewer i hope you found that entertaining and valuable because i certainly did and i will see you in the next episode take care bye bye If you liked this episode, it would mean a lot if you would please rate and write a review. Please also subscribe so you get notified anytime a new episode drops. Thank you for tuning in. Now go out and attack your Minotaur.